everyone. You're listening to the Rotoviz Draft Series. I'm your host, Blair Andrews. You can find me on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair. And today I'm delighted to be joined by John Moore. Uh, John is the creator of the Phenom Index, which is currently up on Rotoviz. You can follow him at Hello John Moore. That's John with no H. Uh, John, thanks for joining me. How's it going? Hey, Blair. I'm doing great. Glad to be on. This is my first Rotoviz radio appearance, I think, since the late summer of 2016. So I'm long overdue for a return, and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on. We, of course, wanted to get you back talking about the draft and talking about uh, wide receivers because of, well, because especially of your work with the Phenom Index. Um, I think for any listeners who maybe don't know what it is, could you briefly just explain what uh, what you're looking at, what goes into the Phenom Index? Yeah, absolutely. So for a little context here, uh, the Phenom Index really goes back to 2013, which was the first full year of Rotoviz. And that year was really contentious. If you'll remember, there was guys like DeAndre Hopkins, Cordell Patterson, uh, Terrence Williams was a was sort of like a top 100 wide receiver prospect that year. And something interesting that came up when talking about Terrence Williams was the idea that he was a full three years older than DeAndre Hopkins. And you're thinking, wait a minute, these guys are, you know, in the same draft class and they're three years older. That's that's kind of weird. And uh, at that time, I was big into to fantasy baseball. And so I was always looking at prospects who were in double AA, A, triple A, who might be able to make a big leap coming into a, a dynasty baseball league that year, sort of looking at them based on how good they were for their level. Baseball, of course, has this term quad A for, for guys who are kind of too old for, for where they should be. And they're good for that league, but they're not necessarily like great prospects. Um, more so just kind of like the playground bully who's been held back, beating up on the kids who are physically smaller. And so it was the summer of 2013 that I started kicking this around. 2014, that draft cycle was when it really kind of hit and, um, you know, I went and ran all these different regressions. And, and when you looked at, uh, when you looked at different variables, trying to project performance in the first couple of years of a player's career, draft position is obviously the, the single most important thing. And in fact, a lot of variables sort of get rolled up into draft position, um, meaning that the teams are already accounting for them. Uh, one of the things though, that doesn't get uh, picked up by draft position that remains even when draft position is entered is age. And another one is uh, final market share of yards. And uh, y'all will have to forgive me for this siren going off in the background. Um, <laughs> the perks of living in an urban area. But anyways, uh, so the Phenom Index was my way to very simply look at a player based on their age and their final market share of receiving yards, basically say, how good is this guy for how old he is? Kind of like in baseball, how good are they relative to the level you know, that they're playing? And so uh, this, isn't, this isn't a precise, precise metric. This isn't the entirety of my evaluation. This isn't, you know. But what it is, is it uses Z-scores, which are based off of uh, an average and a standard deviation, and basically looks at, uh, it's, it's a way to roll age and market share into one number. So, for example, um, if a guy is particularly young, say, you know, 20 years old in his final college season, he might have a Z-score in the age uh, category that is like a negative one or or less or lower, which is really good. 
comparatively, if he has a market share of yards that is, let's say, north of 30%, he might have um, a Z-score and market share of yards that is somewhere in the neighborhood of one. So what you want to do is take the guys with the high market share yards, subtract their age Z-score, uh, which a negative minus a negative, you know, and you get a positive number there. And what you'll find is that guys who, uh, say, for example, are standard deviation younger and a standard deviation better than average uh, in terms of market share, they'll come out with a phenom score around two, which coincidentally is where the uh, the average and the median phenom scores for top 12 fantasy wide receivers have hovered over the last few years. Going back to 2015, um, again, if you're looking at the top 12 fantasy wide receivers for the last couple of years, their their median, their average phenom scores hover right around two. So um, hopefully that's a little bit of context. Uh, by comparison, a very average prospect would probably have a score about uh, of about zero, um, and the the absolute maximum that we might see is is somewhere uh, north of four. And we'll actually have a prospect that we get to talk to who uh, who is at that high end of the spectrum in this year's draft class. Yeah, that's great stuff. Uh, I think it's, you know, obviously really important to adjust for age. You don't often, you know, we're talking about three years, but that maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but it's the difference between like a, a freshman and a senior. So a big difference in, in uh, college prospects. Yeah. And, and an important note to Blair, because some people get tripped up on this, it has nothing to do with career longevity in the NFL, but it does have everything to do with how good is the player you're actually looking at? That's absolutely the issue and less so, oh, well, you know, who cares if the guy's, in, you know, 23 when he goes in the league, he's only going to be there for a couple years anyway, and he's still in sort of his prime window. But that's that's absolutely not what we're talking about. It's much more a matter of how good the player actually is. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you're trying to uh, right determine how he performed at a young age to, I uh, guess, uh, get at, you know, how talented he actually is. Um, so who are some of, I guess, the biggest hits you've had over the last, however many years you've been doing it? Who are the guys that Phenom Index has picked out that you like to brag about? Yeah. So the, the big hit, and this was really the first year of the Phenom Index was Allen Robinson. That was a guy that I really went to bat for. I said he was my number one wide receiver in the class. As it turns out, that class has just produced a ton of talent, 2014 wide receiver class. And I don't think Anyone would say that Robinson has been the best from that class, but I think he certainly um, has been a high performer when he's been on the field. Uh, a couple other guys throughout the last couple of years, and these guys I think are particularly interesting because uh, the fantasy community in a way turned on them, I think. Maybe wasn't patient enough. Uh, Devontae Adams would be one of those guys. Nelson Aguilar would be one of those guys. Um, Devin Funches, I think people were a, a little antsy after his, his rookie year. So those are guys that I would, I would put in the category of, I thought they would be good, and they turned out to be good. Um, guys that uh, I thought would be bad, or I maybe would have steered you away from, um, would have been players like Philip Dorsett, uh, Braxton Miller, um, sort of retroactively, if we go back to 2013, Cordero Patterson was a player who, who fared poorly in the metric. Um, so those are, those are a couple instances that, uh, that I would categorize as hits. Okay. Uh, any anyone you're still uh, kind of waiting on to break out? Anyone you think should be a hit and hasn't been? Yeah. So uh, I guess 
the time horizon that I look at when I'm trying to solve for, for rookies is three years. And so a couple of guys from uh, the 2015, 2016 classes that I was convinced would be really good. Uh, Jalen Strong was one. Uh, unfortunately, he got cut from the Texans and then he uh, tore his ACL in his one game with the, uh, the Jaguars last year. So he's, he's kind of looking like a lost cause at this point. Farrow Cooper from the Rams is a player that's, that's going into his third year, has been a big contributor on special teams. But uh, the Rams, man, with the, with the wide receiver depth chart they have, like I'm, I'm hoping Cooper could get on the field. I'm hoping Josh Reynolds could get on the field. But uh, McVay has just done quite a job in, in assembling pass-catching talent across the board there. Um, and another guy that I'm, I'm kind of curious to, to see what could happen this year um, showed some promise in, in a pretty young rookie year um, was in that same class as Farrell Cooper and, and was right up neck and neck with Farrell Cooper for the best score was Tajay Sharp with the Titans. Um, he has, you know, had various issues, uh, but he's heading into his third year and I'm, I'm kind of holding my breath to see what, what might come of him. Definitely. Yeah. He was someone I was, I was pretty high on back, uh, when he was a prospect and it looked for a little bit in his rookie year, like he might, he might be able to carve out a role, but, uh, We'll see. I'm hopeful he can still turn it around. Um, so, yeah, the phenom index is obviously a big part of your evaluation when you're looking at prospects, but uh, I assume you, you look at other metrics too. What else goes into your uh, evaluation process when you're looking at wide receivers? Yeah, so something that I'm actually working on now, and it's it's so cool that I like kind of want to hoard it, to be honest, is is essentially almost like a risk chart for wide receiver prospects looking at when they broke out at what level of competition and whether or not they ended up going on to post a top 24 fantasy wide receiver season. Um, and that is really freaking cool. Uh, so breakout age is absolutely something that goes into the, to the consideration. Another thing that I pay a lot of attention to is special teams production and to a degree running and or passing production. Uh, there's an article at Rotoviz from a couple years ago called, uh, I think it's Wes Welker, Antonio Brown and the hidden value of special team stats. Uh, and that sort of outlines the fact that, um, like age, like market share, like I mentioned earlier, uh, special teams don't really seem to be baked in or at least appropriately accounted for by, uh, by draft position. So I think that's a little bit of an inefficiency in the market and something that I try to, um, you know, keep an eye on. Yeah, that's uh, definitely an article I refer to. I think it's one that's pretty well known, uh, you know, among Rotoviz writers who are trying to do uh, prospect evaluations. It's um, kind of an interesting, an interesting thing to pick up. I guess the way that I remember it being explained is it kind of is a proxy for some athleticism that isn't necessarily measured at the combine or something. Do I have that about right? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair way to think about it. And I think um, some of these guys who are, let's say, like a sort of pretty successful at special teams, um, you know, uh, aspects of the game, uh, examples that come to mind that, for example, I didn't appreciate at the time, um, Odell Beckham, for example, he was an absolute uh, dynamite punt returner. Um, Antonio Brown contributed all over, all over the field. Uh, Stefan Diggs, uh, was like that. Um, 
uh, Adam Thielen in his college career was like that. And, and that's, you know, he's sort of off the grid in a different category, but, um, yeah, there's, there's something there. And, and, and the, the comparison that I made is, is like, look, there's when people talk about, you know, they might not have the greatest athleticism, but they've got like football athleticism. I think that, uh, my interpretation of, of the results is that, uh, where some of that shows up is in the special teams game and in, in the return game. Good stuff. Uh, all right. Before moving on, I just want to remind all our listeners that you can get a subscription to Rotoviz NFL Pass right now for 30% off. It's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our NFL content and tools and supports the pod. So be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL pass at rotoviz.com slash podcast. Also, you can support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes. Do that and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to future episodes to hear if you are the winner. Uh, and actually, I think they're going to announce the winner on a pod next week. So if you want to take advantage of that offer, you definitely want to get your iTunes review in soon uh if you don't win but you still want to play in an ffpc league with some rotoviz writers and podcasters you can email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com and we'll get that set up all right so the 2018 wide receiver class i think a lot of people a lot of draft uh, analysts are kind of approaching it as a pretty shallow class or a pretty weak class is that kind of your assessment of it too it is I would categorize this as the weakest wide receiver class since 2013. That was the year that produced uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, and really not a ton else. Uh, actually, the Phenom Index is is sort of a useful way to get a sense for the strength of classes. And so, for example, I looked at, uh, in the road of his Phenom Index article, I looked at the last 10 draft classes and how many combine invited wide receivers had a phenom index score over 2.5? Um, and this this year's class is uh, has only four of those players. 2016 had four, and then 2013 had three. Um, so pretty shallow at the top end. By comparison, 2014 that great class with Adams and Beckham and Robinson and you know, the list goes on. They had eight players invited to the combine who had a phenom score over 2.5. So. Um, along those similar lines that, that 2014 class had 20 guys with a score over 1.5, which is double what this 2018 class has. So it definitely, um, by the things that I look at, I I think quantifiably is shallower. Um, and, and the, the data does support the narrative that there's less talent at the, uh, you know, top to bottom of this class. Yeah. Now, uh, in, uh, dynasty rookie drafts, I'm noticing for instance, that, you know, People are reacting to this weak class by kind of leaving wide receivers on the board longer. Uh, I wonder if it's possible we should be maybe looking at it looking at it the other way around. Maybe the the top wide receivers are a little bit more valuable in in cases where uh, the class is really weak. What do you think of that? Yeah, and I you know I think that we actually see that in the real draft happen too. Um, you know, for example, I know last year the the wide receivers I think sort of went a little bit uh, unexpectedly high. And I think that that was because the league perceived a, a drop-off after those top three of Williams, Davis, and Ross. And I think that 
the the 2018 rookie drafts that I'm seeing right now, um, at least according to the my fantasy league data, it looks like the top six are all running backs in the first round, and then uh, Sutton, Moore, Ridley, Washington, and Kirk coming off the board in the seven to thirteen range. Um, you know, I think that that by all accounts, the top five running backs in this class are are very um, highly coveted. And, you know, with good reason, but I think that, uh, the fact that there looks to be like there's a run on wide receivers right after that. And then a pretty, a pretty decent drop off, um, only two wide receivers coming off the board between pick 11 and pick 22. Um, I, I think that tells you that the, the talent does run out pretty quickly. Yeah, that's a good point. You want to maybe, if you have a wide receiver you really like in this class, you maybe want to, uh, try and get him a little bit earlier than, than uh, when that run happens. Speaking of wide receivers we really like in this class, uh, I want to talk about DJ Moore, of course. You said in your uh, Phenom Index article he has the highest Phenom Index score ever achieved by a receiver invited to the Combine. Uh, So is he your top wide receiver in this class? Yes, he is. And, you know, it's not only because of the great final season that he put up, but he also broke out in his age 19 season, too. Uh, put up more than a thousand all-purpose yards. Um, how I define breakout, just to be clear, because it's a little bit different across the industry. I think um, anytime a, a receiver gets over twenty percent of their team's receiving yards, uh, that's what I personally consider to be a breakout. Um, so DJ Moore did that in his age nineteen season. Put up fifty-three percent of his team's receiving yards in his age twenty season, which is just absolutely stupid. But it's more than that, right? Because I mentioned the special teams and, and sort of diverse contributions, um, which which DJ Moore was was special in, um, you know, with with running, kick, punt, and passing. Um, he played as difficult of a schedule as anyone in this class. Uh, he showed up at the combine and just crushed it. Um, you know, just pretty much everything you could ask him to have done as a prospect and a, a relatively you know, quick career, uh, he did. And for me, uh, I have his comps sort of in that, you know, upper half of round one, guys like Amari Cooper, Sammy Watkins. Uh, like I said, he, he, or like you mentioned, he has the highest Venom score uh, going back, you know, really on, on record that I have, which goes back about 10, 15 years, um, coming in above guys, Allen Robinson, Akeem Nix, Larry Fitzgerald, Amari Cooper, uh, Des Bryant, um, and that's not an edited list. That is the list that he clocks in right above. And so, um, I think DJ Moore has the the potential to be a, a pretty special player for the dynasty community. Um, you know, uh, within that three year horizon, I, I think he can be a superstar in the league. Yeah, that's, uh, we're really excited for DJ Moore here at Rotoviz. Obviously he checks almost every box we like to see, um, how do, you, how do you think he compares with uh, some of the top wide receivers in the past class? I mean, you mentioned uh, Mari Cooper and Sammy Watkins, I think, as um, you know, comparable players. Do you think he's at that level? Like uh, Cooper, if I recall, was probably a top two dynasty rookie pick. Is he? Uh, should he be up there for you? Well, I, I don't think because you have a chance to really grab – um, some elite running back talents in this class uh, with those top couple picks. I don't know if I could say that uh, that 
more should go there, like you said, in the top one or two. Um, but you know, if, if you don't necessarily love, uh, one of the big five running backs, so to speak, and you wanted to grab him with, uh, with, you know, fourth or fifth pick, I think that'd be bold. But, uh, depending on how your league's set up, I, I think that, you know, he is the best wide receiver in this class. So, uh, we talked about positional scarcity. If that's how you feel, then, then go get him. Definitely. Are there any other guys in this sort of, uh, top tier of wide receivers maybe going off the board in the first round that you really like that you think might be uh, undervalued yeah I, I really like James Washington and I don't know I don't know if you could say that a guy whose current ADP is you know top 10 uh, in a rookie draft is is undervalued but um, for me he's my wide receiver too in this class uh, I, I know that might be a little bit of a hot take but He's a guy that, you know, if he had come out a year ago, which he, he had the option to and, and very well could have, uh, he would have been right up there competing with, um, uh, you know, a, a top two, three score in the Phenom Index in, uh, in last year's class. So, you know, he, he could have come out a year ago. He still has a, a really strong score of 1.36 this year. Uh, and for me, what I appreciate about him uh, consistent ability to get into the end zone <clears throat> for a, for a really talented, um, uh, uh, Oklahoma offense, you know, you have guys like Aitman, uh, Chris Carson was there, uh, last year. Um, the fact that, that James Washington has carried such a heavy load in that offense over the last couple of years, over so many games, uh, really says a lot to me. <clears throat> he has for his career, Every time Oklahoma State snaps the ball, James Washington picks up 1.18 yards from scrimmage, which is the best of any Power 5 wide receiver in this class. Um, in, in my mind, he, uh, in sort of the range of, of potential comparisons, uh, and I say these names because people generally kind of know who they are. Uh, Dynasty players will know some of these other guys. But, you know, I think in, in the lesser, lesser, version of, of a Des Bryant type player, um, maybe sort of like a, a Ty Montgomery, Greg Little, Leonte Carew, kind of on that continuum of prospects. Um, he's a guy that, like I said, for me, is uh, is my number two, two prospect in this wide receiver class. I think a lot of people have Calvin Ridley near the top of their class, but he, of course, is one of the older prospects coming out. Uh, how much do you think his age hurts him? Yeah, so there's an important distinction to make here, right? It's not that young players are automatically good and that old players are automatically bad. It's just that there are different expectations for them. So there's an article at Rotoviz from a couple of years ago called um, uh, Keyshawn Johnson and why I don't hate old wide receivers. They can be good. They just have higher expectations. In Ridley's case, even though he was past his 23rd birthday uh, in that final season, his market share was high enough that he still managed a phenom score of 0.4, which isn't great, but it is, you know, uh, within the sort of range that we've seen top 12 fantasy wide receivers come from. He was a big time prospect in the mold of a couple other guys who who entered college in their their 20s, broke out immediately, and then went on to have. Uh, you know, varying degrees of success as as you know, top sixty picks. Those being uh, AJ Green and uh, Marquise Lee. 
were a couple of guys that were also older, big splash, and then, uh, you know, dominated for three straight years pretty much and, and have, have been uh, useful, if not great, in fantasy. So <clears throat> for me, Ridley is uh, – he's not my, not my number two guy. Like you said, a lot of people probably have him up there. Uh, for me, he's kind of more in the range of um, sort of my wide receiver five in this class. Um, there's a couple of guys sort of bunched right there, but I think Ridley can be good. Uh, I just, I don't know if I would, if I would take him, I, I, I wouldn't take him, I should say above guys like Moore, Washington, Christian Kirk. Um, but I'm, I'm not writing him off. So who is the fifth receiver in your, in your top five? Let's just get them all out there. Yeah. So Moore, Washington, Kirk, Sutton, and then Ridley. All right. Let me take a moment to tell you about our friends at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. For most people, it's the off-season, but not for the FFPC. They now have almost 200 active dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single dynasty league has folded in eight years. Orphan dynasty teams are available for purchase right now. Many of these are good teams ready to compete. And Startup Dynasty Leagues will be forming shortly, so get your name on the waitlist today. Plus, if you're ready to draft now, the FFPC Best Ball Leagues are now open, starting at a $35 entry fee. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. All right, um, moving past the sort of top tier of wide receivers, um... Are there any guys going in maybe second round of rookie drafts or maybe uh, second through fourth rounds that you are really excited about that you think could surprise people? Yeah, so let's just take a quick inventory of of sort of who those names are, um, if that's right with you. Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've got the My Fantasy League uh, ADP up for rookie leagues. Uh, in the second round, Equinemius St. Brown, Michael Gallup, and Anthony Miller – uh, in what would be the third round, DJ Chark, Auden Tate, Deshaun Hamilton, Deion Kane, Antonio Callaway, and Dante Pettis. And then the fourth, Traquan Smith, Simi Cobbs, Alan Lazard, Jordan Lastly, and Kiki Kuti. So for me, when I when I look at this, the the value that really jumps off the board, in my mind at least, um, in terms of where my rankings have them, is Alan Lazard. The fact that he's coming off the board at the 44th, uh, pick of a rookie draft right now seems uh, incredibly low to me. Um, as for why I like Lazard so much, um, he's a guy kind of like I mentioned with with uh, James Washington that had he come out a year ago would have been pretty competitive in the 2017 wide receiver class in terms of phenom score. Um, but the 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 athleticism, you know, the the size. You know, those are things six four two twenty five that stand out to me, with especially within the context that um, he returned twenty one punts for his career at a more than a ten yards per punt return average, which is really unusual. That's that's sort of like Vincent Jackson esque. His phenom score for for this year's uh, entry was point six four, which again isn't great, but uh, it's you know sort of in that range that you'd like to see. Um, and I think just the the size athleticism combination, along with his strong record for his career, he's accounted for more than 27% of Iowa State's receiving yards. 
Uh, I have him kind of in like the the Eric Decker ish, Vincent Jackson ish sort of mold of uh, of of a player. And um, if I could get him in the fourth round of a rookie draft, I would take him there every time. Yeah, you mentioned the special teams work. Definitely unusual to see a receiver, I guess, of his size doing uh, having the punt return duties. Does it worry you at all? I guess we could ask this with Washington and guys like uh, Corden Sutton. Does it worry you at all that they didn't come out when they could, that they decided to stay that extra year? Um, it, it does and it doesn't. Uh, as I mentioned, breakout age is something that I pay a lot of attention to. And so it's almost like at a certain point, once they do that, I don't care as much when they come out, assuming they don't totally fall off a cliff or tear their ACL or whatever it might be. Okay. Are there any guys in this in this uh, kind of rounds two through four tier, or maybe round two would be a good place to look? Are there any guys who you won't be drafting at all, you're just avoiding at their ADP? Yeah, so Anthony Miller is that guy for me in this class. He's He has things going for him, and I want to be... I want to be clear about that. But when you look at him, uh, he didn't break out until his age 22 season. Uh, he finished at his, in his age 23 season. Um, and the historical track record for guys who, who break out at that age uh, is just so, so bad uh, in terms of them becoming a top 24 fantasy option that it's just really not even worth it for me to, to bet on that. Um, when I was on the Dynasty Blueprint podcast, Matt Williamson made the the reference of like, if you're <laughs> if you're in Vegas and you're looking at the board and trying to pick a game to bet, um, you'd be better off just not betting on guys that look like Anthony Miller. Um, and that's not to say that there haven't been people like say a uh, a Victor Cruz or a Cecil Shorts. Uh, who have had kind of similar profiles as him that have have gone on to relevancy, but I just I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, these are not uh, you know not inspiring confidence with the the comps you just gave. Are there any other players in this in this tier you want to talk about? You really like? Yeah, so I, I kind of go back and forth on this, but I want to I want to take a, I want to take the stand for Michael Gallup here because. I know there are a lot of people, I think the biggest response I got besides the DJ Moore uh, action, I think the biggest response I got on Twitter was about people being excited to see how good Michael Gallup's score was. Uh, He came in at 1.89 and that means that he played his final college season at age 21.8 and accounted for over 37% of his team's receiving yards. Uh, What I love about Michael Gallup though, and this is... Maybe this is narrative street. I don't know. Twitter crushed me if it is. Um, Michael Gallup went to junior college. And as an 18-year-old in junior college, he accounted for 23% of his team's receiving yards. Pretty good. Age 19, he played three games, got hurt, missed the rest of the season, transferred to Colorado State. Right away, taking that step up, he broke out to the tune of 40% of Colorado's receiving yards in his age 20 season. Uh, and then again, went on to crush this, this last year as well. Um, for his career, he's accounted for more than 32% of all possible passing yards he could have caught, which is one of the best in the class. Um, and when I, when I went looking for comps, um, one guy that, that really came through for me was actually Stevie Johnson, 
Uh, if you remember him out of Kentucky, he was, uh, I think, a seventh round, late sixth round pick um, for the Bills and went on to, to have a lot of fantasy relevance pretty early on. And Stevie Johnson followed that almost exact same path. Huge 18-year-old production in junior college, crushed it again in 19, went over to Kentucky and put up some big numbers there. Um, Size-wise, they're the same. Athleticism, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty similar just across the board. Um, and Michael Gallup is a guy that, uh, personally, I really like when you get to see guys um, take a step up and immediately crush it. Uh, an example that also comes to mind from recent years is Jordan Howard. He had two great years at UAB, went to Indiana, and, and stepped up in a big way right away. Uh, they, they almost have that that practice in kicking it up a gear and having to really uh, sort of work to get to that next level. I know Narrative Street, but I really, I really do think there's something to it. So Michael Gallup is a guy that I want to, I want to stump for. And I think that, uh, I would definitely, um, really be excited to see him succeed. I think that ADP sort of late two, early three, um, is pretty fair. Like we talked about the, the wide receiver depth kind of runs out quick, but, um, depending on where he lands, I think he could be a guy that, that you want to take a shot on. All right. Good stuff. Um, Moving on, I guess, are there any people, any guys who are maybe not even in these first four rounds that you're looking to reach for, guys at the at the tail end of rookie drafts that you definitely want to have on your team? Yeah, I think two names that, that uh, well, let's say, yeah, two names that we haven't mentioned that aren't in the, the top four rounds uh, in, in rookie draft ADP. Uh, the first would be Deontay Burnett out of USC, and... He's a little bit of uh, a tough guy to get a handle on, and the reason for that being that uh, he, I think he clocked in at the combine a little bit bigger. He's a small guy, but he was sort of bigger than people were expecting, um, and because of an injury, he didn't participate in anything, so we have no athletic data on him, but he has one of the top couple scores in the Phenom Index at 2.66. He was a 20-year-old in his final college season, accounted for 26% plus of his team's receiving yards. Uh he came like within an eyelash of actually breaking out in his age 19 season, which I think is notable for a couple reasons. One, because uh, he was playing behind Juju Smith-Schuster, who we know what he did as a rookie. He was playing behind Darius Rogers, who was one of the, uh, according to PFF, best blocking wide receivers in the country. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Adoree Jackson was still getting some play on offense at that point. Um Obviously, you know, Ronald Jones is a dynamic playmaker. And the fact that sort of despite all that talent, Deontay Burnett was still very relevant as a 19-year-old in a really talented program, uh, that that says a lot to me. Um, So he's a guy that I had a hard time coming up with a comp for him. Um, But I think in recent years, we've seen seen some of these guys. uh, I might be going a little bit off the the grid here. come from crowded wide receiver cores like this. I'm thinking about like a, uh, like an Adam Humphreys or a Martavis Bryan out of Clemson, um, uh, Jalen Marshall out of Ohio State, uh, players who weren't as good as Deontay Burnett was uh, in, tr- in his college career, but surrounded by a lot of talent and then maybe flying a little bit under the radar and then go into the NFL and, and sort of, outperform expectations and if there were a player like that 
in this class. It's Deontay Burnett in my mind. So we're going to go from a big school to a much smaller school. Uh, when I tweeted out the Phenom Index article, I asked people, hey, who's somebody that that I didn't include in this? Because uh, I only did combine invited guys. And, you know, tweet me him. I'll add him to the list. And the the most requested player was Justin Watson out of Penn. And I very quickly learned that there's uh, a lot of reason to be excited about Justin Watson. Uh, he had, I think it was the second highest Phenom Index score in this class, 3.21, which I don't necessarily love mixing him in uh, because guys who aren't invited to the combine just have a, a much lower chance of probability. But uh, he he checks a ton, a ton of boxes. And by that, I mean 6'2", 215 pounds, plus athleticism across the board. Uh, for his college career, he accounted for just under 40% of Penn's receiving yards, which is really, really uh, in the upper uh, atmosphere of what I've seen. Um, talk about small school guys kind of dominating in a similar vein. Last year, we saw Cooper Cup and Keelan Cole up in that same range. I don't think uh, anybody would say that either of those guys are the kind of athlete that Justin Watson is. Um I would be really, really curious to see if he ends up uh, getting drafted and just how high he does. There's, We've seen guys before not go to the combine and, and be picked in the fourth and fifth rounds. I don't necessarily think that uh, Justin Watson will, but I think he could. I think he would be deserving. Um, you know, Good from his age 19 season through the last three. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about what Justin Watson could be, um, you know, uh, depending on where he, he gets drafted. The, the upside sort of comps that I had for him, and again, these are some more relevant names, um, players like a, a Mohamed Sanu, maybe a, a Ricardo Lewis, those were a few that, that came to mind, coming from much different programs, but um, sort of size and, and stylistically and whatnot, uh, those were a few names. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, sort of the lack of a combine invite is kind of... Uh means you you take these numbers with a little bit of uh well i guess a little bit of caution maybe does the the fact that he played against you know a lower level of competition does that uh raise some questions for you too it, it honestly if if justin watson were just athletic and his phenom score was you know a point two or something i think it it would raise some questions but we're talking about a true offense carrier and I don't really care what, what level you come from to an extent, if you are really as great as he is. I mean, for every time for his entire college career, for every time that Penn snapped the ball, he picked up about one and a half yards from scrimmage, which is just really, really ridiculous. Um, he had, in addition to the receiving prowess, which I've covered, uh, he also had 44 carries, in his college career for more than seven yards a pop. Uh, that's, that's something that I think is relevant too. like, just like I mentioned earlier, like you could have said the same about Keelan Cole last year. You could have said the same about Cooper cup. Um, guys from small schools, if they are truly, truly dominant, truly, truly offense carriers, uh, I, the, the strength of schedule matters much less in my opinion. All right. Great stuff. Um, before we sign off, any uh, any uh, thing coming up that we can look forward to that you're working on? Uh, where can we find your stuff? 
<laughs> Honestly, the only stuff I have going on right now is pinned to my profile on Twitter at <laughs> uh, Hello John Moore, and that is the Phenom Index. I had a, a lengthy talk with uh, one of the powers that be at Rotoviz, and um, we'll see. We'll see. That's that's all I can say at this point. I, I, I've got some I've got some stuff that I haven't written about that I think could help people, but at the same time, it's just kind of a matter of resources and time and uh, I'm, my birthday is in a couple days my wedding is in uh about you know 30 days and life is a little hectic right now so there's an interest maybe we'll see come june 1st or or later this summer all right well a lot going on for you but uh you definitely give uh john a follow if you're not already hello john moore uh with no h that's going to do it for today's edition of the road of his draft series I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Draft Series. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us by email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast.